0: Piper, Patrick Lacey, S.E. Howard, Waylon Jordan, and Jeremy Herbert. Five acclaimed authors of horror and dark fiction. Their twisted tales appeared in the acclaimed horror anthology Worst Laid Plans from Grindhouse Press. Now, their tales of vacation terror are coming to the big screen in a feature film adaptation from Genre Blast Films. Five acclaimed genre filmmakers will bring these stories to life. Samantha Koyeznik, John Hale, Vanessa Yonta Wright, Michael Escobedo, and Jeremy Herbert. Worst Laid Plans, now crowdfunding on Indiegogo. This is one vacation you'll be dying to take. Welcome to Dead Headspace, now a part of Silver Shamrock's HorrorCast, a podcast network that includes Killing Time with Silver Shamrock and Unburying the Dead, where we exhume classic horror paperbacks for the new generation. Which, ironically, tonight's episode deals with a guest that uh, we actually are going to be talking about in the upcoming episode 3, airing April 1st, Ronald Kelly's Fair, and uh, we'll get more uh, more on that later You can find this and the other Silver Shimrock shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Ghana, YouTube, and all other major platforms I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host, Brennan LaFaro Say hi, Brennan Hello, everybody And today we're joined for a third time by the man behind Fair, along with many, many other awesome books, Ronald Kelly Hello, sir Howdy we never really talked too much about that, really, anytime time you've been on, so right. why don't we talk about, why don't you tell us what it's about for potential readers?
1: Uh, Fear is a coming-of-age novel about a young 10-year-old farm boy who who has a lot of troubles on his back uh, um, at home, and and uh, a, a monster comes into the the rural county and starts wreaking havoc, and he has to find a way to stop it and and maybe find a way to solve some other problems of his. And he goes to um, uh, the most evil county in the world, and which was his fear county, to find um, so, a little magic to, to help solve his problems. So, Ron,
2: when you, you know, the whole book is based around the most, well... The whole book is based around Jeb, but, you know, a big selling point is you got the most evil county in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, is that kind of the jumping off point for creating this novel? Did you did you want to work like a place like that into fiction?
1: Yeah, that, that uh, Fair County was like the first thing that popped in my head when when I, I got the idea that. And I, then I started building the characters around that because uh, um, it I, Fear had, you know, it had a weird origin. It didn't have a very interesting origin because I just woke up um, one morning and it was in my head, and I started writing it. It's uh, so it wasn't anything that I had to mull over for a long time. I just it was one of those where you, you just sit down with no outline and and just start writing, you know. So
0: you didn't have an outline for the, at all. Did you have an outline?
1: Well. See, I had to provide an outline to Zebra uh, so they could approve it because they wanted to know, you know, from from word one to the last word, you know, exactly what the story was and everything. But uh, um, Fear was my seventh novel with Zebra, so I had been working with them for a while. And uh, so, uh, and I was in the middle of, a let's see, was it my... Third, I think it was, no, it was my second uh, multi-book deal with Zebra. And and uh, we just, uh, I, I wrote the book and, and then did the outline and sent it to them. They approved it. So,
0: And for audio listeners, I'm holding up the first edition of Zebra's Fear. Uh, the cover, so we're just going to jump into Unburying the Dead um, by the time this airs. People will have a week from now till then when it comes out, where we introduce our now uh, new host, along with me, Brennan, and Ken McKinley, is uh, Well Red Beard, aka Kevin Wynn. He brought up a good point: the cover doesn't. I love the cover; it's a great cover, but it doesn't do the book justice. And he worded perfectly. I never thought of this: what what cover would do this story
1: justice? I don't know, but, uh, I always kinda of pictured maybe a, a a wooded a dark wooded area with the three main characters, um Jeb, Sam and uh Roscoe Ledbetter walking down like um a, a trail with maybe a little light coming down on, you know, you know, just you know, something that's kind of uh, describes, you know, their journey into Fear County, you know, instead of Something, I mean, as far as a zebra cover, I you know, I really liked that zebra cover, you know, because a lot of the other covers, you know, I didn't really care for, but um, but yeah, you know, it it is. I mean, I I would like a a cover that you know would maybe not be as centered on that one part of fear, like the cocoons and the in the cave, but another way, I wouldn't want it to be like. Uh, one of these um, g- generic horror covers I see nowadays, where you know you you really can't tell whether it's horror or mainstream or something like that.
2: The potential one you described uh, is giving me major, major uh, Wizard of Oz vibes, heading <laughs> down the uh, the yellow brick road <laughs> into Fear County. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, you, you know, to to kind of piggyback on, on on Patrick's point, putting putting uh, putting words in poor Kevin's mouth. Um, I, I think his point was more, you know, certainly not that it's not a good cover, but more that it it looks like a pulp novel. And he yeah. said, when I read it, it's he said this is this transcends pulp. Now I wonder how you feel about that. Do you feel like fear is fits that pulp genre, or do you feel like it's kind of a little more
1: uh, has that literary bent to it? I, I think I think it's a little bit more than a pulp novel. Uh, I. I the other ones i wrote uh, you know definitely you know pulp you know it, it, the thing was when you wrote for when you begin writing for zebra a lot of the writers wouldn't you know wasn't seasoned authors and and you know they would sign up new people all the time and and you pretty much uh you you learned to craft as you wrote you know novel by novel which you know um uh, you know at the beginning you know at the beginning you could see the flaws and and see that it's not quite as polished. And But uh, by the time I got to Fear, I was I was almost at the top of my game as far as Zebra, you know, when I worked for Zebra. And, and this novel just flowed. I mean, um, you know, it wasn't like I had to really put a whole lot of brain work into working out, you know, this and that scene, because it just flowed almost like a movie plane in my head. How long did it take you to write it? I believe it took me six months to write it. It usually took me about six to eight months to write a novel. The only novel that, that really um, didn't take me that long was uh, Blood Ken, my vampire novel. It took me two months, and that's mainly because I was broke and I needed the money. <laughs> so. <laughs> so is that writing it to it being
0: in the editor's hands?
1: Yes, if you could oh, call wow. them editors, because they... There wasn't very much editing to it. If I look back at some of the manuscripts and compare them to what's in the Zebra books, there's not a whole lot of editing to it. I mean, they uh, they did minimal editing, and and sometimes it shows when you read the book. And but uh, I tried to do the, the best I could, and and you know, people don't you know when they read my books, they don't seem to you know pick and pick at it and and say well this isn't you know you didn't do a very good job at this so maybe maybe i was doing pretty good back then did anyone else say anything about
0: a wizard of oz comparison i mean i think of you know you got the was it you do have a group of three and a dog there's one less person but
1: still did you ever get that comparison no no not until just recently Uh, and I believe you're the only you're the the one who uh, who uh, picked up on it, really.
0: That's crazy. It's been like twenty seven years. Um.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it, well, it's, it's been obscure for almost twenty seven years too, until just recently. So
0: I don't understand. I, it, it makes me wonder how many other incredible books there are that have flown under so many people's radar.
1: Well, yeah. Zebra was putting out so many books back then that I mean they put your book out, they'd be on the the book racks for a couple of weeks, you know maybe a month at the most, and then uh, the the bookstores would pull pull them off the shelf and put the next Zebra releases in for the next month. So so it was just a you know it was a fast turnover and and uh, you know if they hadn't put so many copies of your book out, you probably wouldn't have made very many royalties, but I did pretty good on them back then because, uh, uh, they would put them in, you know, in the uh, airport terminals and drug stores, grocery stores and, and the bookstores, you know, so, so they were everywhere. You know? What's,
0: uh, you know, there's, um, kind of a rebirth of your career, and I mean, I've only we've only known each other for uh, since last year, but it seems like it's starting to really kick off around then. What's what's that like compared to when you were writing for Zebra in the '90s, as yeah, far as as far as fanfare goes?
1: Uh, there was no fanfare back then. Really. Uh, well, no. I mean, you you wrote the books. They came out. You didn't know whether they did well enough. You didn't get any feedback from anybody because, you know, they, you didn't have what you have now. You didn't have, you know, social media. You didn't have contact with your, all your fans. I mean, I, I talk to fans almost daily now, you know, and um, sell them books directly from myself. And and uh, back then, it was just such an isolated Process and and you were just after you wrote a book you were focused on the next book that you're going to uh, write and submit and you knew you were going to have those sales ahead of you. Um, yeah, it was totally different. I mean, you had a little you had a little contact if you uh, if you wrote short stories for the small press magazines because you 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 had a little community there. You know, you had fellow writers and. And uh, and stuff like that, but but I mean there were no conventions back then. I mean we had the uh, the World Horror Convention and maybe a couple smaller ones, but but there wasn't like the amount of conventions you have that um, you have now. So yeah, it was it was a totally different kind of uh, dynamic as far as writers, you know, getting feedback on their writing or or meeting their fans or anything like that.
2: Brennan, why don't you jump in? Um, so if I can take us back to fear real quick, I'm curious how much of yourself you put into Jeb.
1: Jeb, I mean, yeah, I, I believe Jeb, I, there's a lot of Jeb in me, or me and a lot of Jeb, but uh, um, I wasn't a farm boy. I mean, I wasn't a city boy. I mean, a town boy. I was just kind of in between, but, you know, I, I came from a... Uh, tobacco farming um uh, on both sides of, of my family and and I knew, you know, when I stayed, you know, with my grandparents I, I did chores, you know, and stuff. So, you know, I, I I didn't go in blind when I wrote it. You know, I knew I knew what what farm life was like and and tried to depict it as best I could.
0: You know, the thing about when people compare small town horrors where your universe as a writer is, like, isolated in. For me, anyways, it's like you hear in Smith with Lovecraft or mainly Derry. Now, Castle Rock's brought up a lot, but for me, it's like Derry's, like, the quintessential creepy town. I think that if more people eventually hear and read this book, it you're going to start hearing that comparison, too. I, I don't know how... Someone couldn't pick this up because, again, going back to Kevin, it's beyond horror. You know, you got like, I don't know if you meant to do this, but it seems like there's influences of Mark Twain, Richard Masson, and a little Ray Bradbury, uh, obviously yourself and Wizard of Oz, man. It's a whole mix of stuff that I love. And uh, I'm curious as far as the bits and pieces of different tropes in horror, you know, Vampires and witches and so forth. Did you know at all going in that you want to play around with some things and make them into your own, or, or did they just kind of did you write the pants of your seat and surprise yourself with what you wrote?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I got to the, um, I I kind of had an idea of you know how I was going to build it, char- building the characters and and you know the backstory with Jeb's problems and. And uh, and his encounters with the the snake critter and everything. But when I got up to the where they were actually going to Fear County, I started. That's when I started, you know, brainstorming. You know, I wanted to put every nightmarish episode I could could think of. Uh, I I remember in in the episode the Fear episode you let me listen to ahead of time. Uh, you meant you kept mentioning the vampires in the in the boxcar. So uh,
0: creepy.
1: Uh, actually, that was a short story before fear was even uh, uh, written. Uh, if you if you get my short story collection, Midnight Grinding, um, there's a story in there called the Boxcar, and and it's it's pretty much it's the same, you know, vampires the same boxcar. They just it's 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 about uh, some hobos that camp and and come across this boxcar. It's uh, all sealed up and everything and and this one young hobo boy kind of befriends one of the the vampires and and it kind of takes off from there but but uh yeah i mean that's where i got the idea for the box cart part of it and and uh i i'd say there's a few other places in the book that that some of you know some of my uh story telling from other stories kind of drifted in and and uh and set the scenes up.
0: Is there one or a few things that you would like people that haven't read this yet, what you like them to know going in, or maybe to entice them to invest their time into this book?
1: Well, I mean, uh, all I wanted to do when I started out writing was just write a good story, you know, just something everybody's going to enjoy, you know, um, a good coming-of-age story. I've, I've actually written three coming-of-age stories of so. One was Hindsight, uh, my first novel about uh, a seven-year-old girl who has psychic powers and and um, and uh, discovers a, a triple murder and who actually committed it. And then I wrote Fear, and then I wrote Hell Hollow later on, and that's a coming-of-age uh, novel too. So um, some. A lot of people's like, read some of my coming-of-age, like, uh, like, hell Hollow, everybody was saying, well, he just, uh, he just ripped off it, but, you know, just because a, a coming-of-age novel has children in it, you know, 12, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old doesn't mean that, you know, that, you know, it influenced, I mean, I mean, you know, whenever I come up with a coming-of-age novel, it's just directly out of my head, you know, but um, when you did say, you know, certain influences, yeah, I guess, I guess, you know, I'm sure Ray Bradbury influenced me a great amount because I read a whole lot of Ray Bradbury uh, in my teenage years. Mm-hmm. So so maybe some of his small town kind of, you know, that easygoing small town prose that he used, you know, that that's something that I really admired and maybe something that, that you know inspired me i'm, I'm pretty sure so ron you kind
2: of created
1: a mythos in in
2: in fear with fear county so i'm wondering what plans do you have going forward to revisit that i know you've hit it in at least one story that i know of right. um what what do you think about doing more with that
1: well you know i'm i'm um I've been brainstorming today on the on the sequel, and you know I was kind of hesitant about doing a sequel. I thought you know it's gonna be hard to do you know fear justice you know to to do a sequel and and not top it but at least match it and and last night you know it what, what I needed to do hit me, and I'm excited to get on it I mean I know exactly you know. I've actually written the last chapter. I know it's set in stone, you know, so all I have to do is go back and do the the beginning and the middle of it but but um, if you thought fear was a roller coaster ride of emotions, this one's gonna go compre- completely off the track so i you know i <laughs> I want to tear, tear up every time I think of you know what's gonna go on in it so so I'm excited I'm excited to get to work on it. That's great news. So when can I have it? Well, I'm going <laughs> <finish. laughs> to finish doing uh, book one of the horror Western series, Turning in the Thunderstorm. And then after that, I'm going to devote all my time on doing the sequel to Fear. And, and sometime in the future, I'd really like to do a collection called Tales of Fear County, like, almost have an origin story of how the 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 county got you know got the way it was and and uh and some other short stories that kind of um you know it's related to it there is one more story that's related to fear and it's the it's the uh, novella of the seedland it was um uh, was in the thunderstorm uh hardcover um a fear and it and it the um protagonist the uh, hot pappy uh who is actually the uh the the grandson of the granny woman and has been trained to deal with uh the horrors and the evils of fear county is one of the main characters in the in that it's a, actually it's almost a, like a novella so so it may still be on the website if if it's not i'll i'll have my Administrator, put it on the website and everybody can go in there and read that because it it's it doesn't take place in Fear County, but it's like on the border of Fear County and and uh, uh, a creature from Fear County is involved in it. So so you know that might be something somebody would like to read. And of course the the story in the seasons creeping uh, uh, beneath the branches, which you know. You know that that's almost that that story is almost a setup for uh, the sequel to Fear. So, um, I would say read Fear, read the Seedling, then read uh, Beneath the Branches before you you know, and then you'll be primed to to read the sequel when it comes out. And I'd I'd say I'll I'll have the sequel done by probably October. And, is it going to be another monster of a book uh, you know I don't know it, it, I guess it really should because you know I don't think I could scale it down you know too much and you know because we're going to have to have a lot of you know horrors and episodes and stuff almost like the first one To because um, I'm not going to give away too much but but the places and everything in in this sequel is going to be different i mean actually the protagonists go in at the exact same point but things aren't the same you know almost like a a temporal riff or something where you know you know terrain changes and and stuff like that it's just gonna be it's gonna it's almost gonna explain How fair, you know, Fair County is, and why why it's the way it is, and and how you know all these things came to be in this county to make it so evil.
0: This just came to me. Roll with it if you want. Don't if you don't want to. But when you say rifts, are we talking about? My mind went straight to branches or strings of different alternatives to timelines.
1: Yeah, that that could be. So I have, pro- have this—I have this idea of them maybe going in a cave and coming across an old miner who had gotten lost in 1907 or something, and <laughs> and for him it's just been a few days, you know, and and you know, it, you know, I actually, you know, I, I toyed with the idea of doing a a, a mid-grade. A series of fear county stories for mid- middle grade oh, readers, because my son he wants to read my stuff so badly, and you know there's stuff in my books. So, you know I really don't want him to read, but especially not the uh, central six stuff. You know? <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about my one and a half year old reading that. I <laughs> say here bubba here's diary you know <laughs> oh
0: no that's it starts.
1: <laughs> but you know i i thought it would be it would be really cool where these these kids you know they go to fair county and they get lost in it for you know a whole series of books and and you know it, the like the train changes and and they encounter new terrors and stuff like that and and um, and they come across regular people who's lost in there too, and and uh, so you know a, a lot of the stuff I've thought I don't know if that'll ever come to be. I I know I talked to Kim McKinley about it, and and we thought if we could ever get in Scholastic, you know, picked up by Scholastic, it you know it would probably take off. But you know that might be a long shot. But but uh, we you know we we've talked about it, and I don't know if it'll come to be. But but I can. Some of the things I I cooked up for that, you know, series, is probably going to integrate into the sequel. I really hope you do that and
0: try to push it with Scholastic, <laughs> man. I'll buy every damn copy. Um, Brandon and I are uh, kids of R.L. Stein, so I, I never got into Fair Street. I just didn't know of it when I was growing up. But the Scholastic Book Fair, I got I got beyond excited. Um. And goosebumps was like my go-to. Uh,
2: man, i'm I'm all amped. I'm juiced up. Brenton, he's yeah, doing this. I'm gonna throw out there. I love the idea of the the rifts, like just because I love the idea that this is not a county filled with bad people. This is an inherently evil county. Like the land itself is evil. And what, you know, what embodies that better than these characters? Thinking that they can have one up on this place by treading familiar ground, they already know what they're encountering, and just as soon as they cross that line, any advantage they think they had is out the window. Uh, That's perfect, man.
1: Yeah, you know, I've I've been reading a lot of cosmic horror lately. You know, I've I've, uh, read um, a lot of Mary San Giovanni stuff, and and um, I'm in the middle of uh, Hailey Piper's The Worm and, and Gormin is kings, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, you know, maybe some of that'll fit in there, you know. And, and you no know, oh, maybe not, maybe not obvious, you know, cosmic horror. But I mean, maybe some stuff from different dimensions or, or you know, stuff like that. You know, it's just um, since since um, you know, fear like lay like dormant for years and years and i didn't think about it and everything and then it, it's getting popular again and and it's it's just kind of opened my imagination and, told me, and showed me the potential of what might be done with you know you know some of the mythos and i think my, uh, personally i think all my books are connected with some sort of mythos you know because you know i, I can sit down and write a map and it's almost like a chain of where book to book, you know, through Tennessee mostly. My second book, Pitfall, was totally different. It was in West Texas, so um so that's not really part of it, but but I mean as far as the Irish werewolves and, and Undertaker's Moon and, and Grandpappy Craven and and Blood Kin, you know, I think they're you know, it's all interconnected and and stuff like that.
0: You know what man, that, I love how you focus on your home state. Um, I'm assuming that's your home state. Yes. Born, yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I've never actually, never actually asked or looked. Uh, like you know, king got Maine. You got there again. Lovecraft has uh, Rhode Island. Uh, ever since I moved down to Jersey, I've been writing about South Jersey, uh, Philadelphia too, and. It's neat, man. I mean, I love New England stuff. Brennan's got, I'm going to, you know what? I didn't even think of this. I'm going to plug him. He's got a book coming out. Tell me if I mess up the name. Slattery Falls.
2: No, you got it. The Soft Day. Good work. (laughs) Nice.
0: I mean, he's, I would not be bringing it up if if I didn't mean this, but he's, and I have to say it because, you know, I have said it time and time again. He's my closest friend in this community and beyond it. But, his New England ghost story is just amazing. Um, I love that. I love New England stories but there's a lot of them uh, probably because of King you know I and Poe and Lovecraft amongst many others but he nails it. Um, I'm getting off track here. I want to talk about Haley Piper real quick. Mm-hmm. was it Brent, chapter 14 is that the is that like the chapter that we we were both like oh my God.
2: I have ten stuck in my head, but I don't ten. know if that's okay. accurate. Mm. We can't say what happens.
0: <laughs> but there's something that happens and it's I haven't read it in another story before, so when you finish that book, if you want to talk about it, let's talk about it. By the way, whoever's listening, if you haven't read that book yet, buy it, read it. It's amazing. So uh, real quick, back to fear, one more thing. Um, Just a reminder, everybody, check out Unburying the Dead podcast. You can find it on, like I said, everywhere where you can find uh, this show, minus YouTube for now, that will be on YouTube eventually. Me, Brennan, Kev, and Ken were talking about things, and you were kind of in your head saying, here's the answer, because we weren't sure.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I was listening to it, and I was talking back to the, you know, to the audio. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Now, let me tell you about this, but you know, right now I came, I came for the life of me think of what, what I was going to say. So.
0: Oh, that's okay. How about you, Brandon? Anything before we move on?
2: No, uh, but if you're okay with uh, me kind of moving on, um, I'm just going to throw out there. We, uh, uh, Patrick had put out a solicitation earlier. To see if anybody, had any questions they want to throw out, and we received a couple. So, uh, one of them you already answered. It was from Emily Haynes. She asked, uh, "Will a second part of Fear come out?" And it sounds like the answer is yes, yes. eventually. Um, but she also wanted to know, and this kind of brings up the topic of you've been, you know, putting reissues out. You have Bloodkin coming out in a couple months. Uh, she wanted to know, will there be a re- reissue of uh, Restless Shadows?
1: Yes. Uh next year we're going to put out a double volume two two books in one it's going to be hindsight and Restless shadows together which is the shadows is the the sequel to hindsight so um actually it's it's a funny the first book that i did for zebra you know the the third multi book contract which never was fulfilled because zebra shut down in 1996 um restless shadows in hell hollow was one of the 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 two zebra books that were already on the schedule when it happened you know i was excited about it because you know you know here i was going to have the sequel to hindsight and everything and then they pulled the plug and said here here's your books back and and, uh so you know when i came back in 2006 and richard sismar asked me what i wanted to wanted to start with and i said well i want to do hell hollows the novel and we did that in hardcover and the short story collection and then later on i did uh uh thunderstorm did restless shadows as a as a limited edition and then i i put that out in ebook, uh, e-book and uh, uh, and right now the audio's being done right now the audio book so i i
2: I think you had more to say, but I uh, rudely talked over you. Uh, I mentioned you have Bloodkin coming out in a few months. Yes, uh, you want to tell us about that?
1: Yeah, I mean Bloodkin is um, that was the last book I did with Zebra. It came out the year that Zebra shut down. Actually, it came out like two months after uh, before Zebra shut down, and um, um, I think it's a very good vampire book i mean it's it's not your average vampire i mean I, it, I mean it's you know it came out at a time when vampires are you know i had a lot of um you know sympathy for the vampires instead of the victims you know um the Anne rice you know the interview with a vampire and the stock and all that and and i just wanted to go back and do an old school vampire and you know really evil uh vampire and I came up with Grandpappy Craven. Uh, he's a traveling mountain preacher who, who um, was bitten by a vampire, and his his wife kills him and buries him without a headstone. And he he just you know he his body bi- the whereabouts of his body disappears. And then one of his descendants you know hundred years later accidentally digs him up and and is compelled to pull the the stake out of his you know the skeleton's chest, and then, you know, Grandpappy's back, and he's trying to recruit the whole the, his all his descendants into you know like a Church of the Damned. So, <laughs> um, um, a lot of people think it's as good as Undertaker's Moon or something like that. So, you know, this will be the first time under uh, that um, Billy Ken's going to be released in paperback since the Zebra paperback. So. Um, uh, Alex McVeigh did a really cool cover, you know, mm. with the, with Grand Pappy with the, you know, it's just, you know, the red eyes and and dripping fangs and, you know, everything I like in a cover is, you know, where you know, there's no doubt that it's a horror cover. So,
0: yeah, Alex That's, is a pretty excellent uh, cover artist. I love the. Upcoming one that he has for uh, the EC style comic book that we could, yeah. well, book, it's a comic book, but we could talk about that at the end when we ask you, what are your current, what are your upcoming projects? So we have at least a few to
2: talk about. Yeah, right. I like the comparison to it uh, with Bloodkin to Undertaker's Moon because that, mm. th- when, I, when I read that, it kind of, um, the The way you just described Bloodkin, that that was kind of my take on on that book. Where you know, if you're picking that up thinking, ah, you know, I'm I'm sick of werewolves. It's okay, we'll read this. This is different. Easy. This is not your traditional werewolf story. Um, we're going in a different direction here, and uh, really all the way back to the source. Um, so actually, Pat, if you're cool with it, you want to go to Undertaker's Moon?
0: Yeah, yeah, that was actually a great uh, segue because. The cover itself looks very. Did, Alex did the cover for yeah, Undertaker's
1: Moon, right? Actually, Alex did that in two thousand six, and the the Thunderstorm book. You know, there was there was a long, co- a convoluted chain of events that led up to the, the publication of that. I mean, it started out with a with a publisher called Nocturne wanted to do it, and they folded, and then uh, uh, Paul Little's. Uh, Full Moon Press wanted to do it, and he folded. And then finally, um, I got with Paul Paul Goldblitch, and and he wanted to do the essential Ronald Kelly collection, and we did all the zebra novels. So finally, I think it was 2011 or something, 2012, that we finally did uh, uh, Undertaker's Moon, and we'd had the werewolf painting for years and years, you know. And uh, Alex saved it for me, and and um, I think it's the best looking werewolf cover. I'm I'm very blessed to have that on the cover of one of my books.
0: It's it's totally cool. It's super creepy. Uh, I went in and I listened to the audio version because I mean, I, you know this, but maybe someone that feels because I felt an immense amount of pressure because of the show to read as much as I could for each upcoming guest and. Audiobooks is now my thing uh, in Texas speech. It saved me. Because I've read three-year books in one month. Yeah, I'm saying read in place of listening. I'm just going to. It's so much easier to say it that way. But Undertaker's Moon, um, it starts off with a. Let me say this without spoiling anything. It starts off brutally. And I, I dug it. And at some point, I found myself in love with it. And I found myself at the end, I'm like, this is like one of the greatest werewolf stories I've ever read. Why isn't this a movie? <laughs> that's a, that's the first uh, novel I, I read by you. The second was Fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the third one's going to be Hindsight. Really looking towards that. And then I got this one Western that <laughs> I can't yes. wait to read. <laughs> yeah, that's a,
1: that's a naughty Western, you know. <laughs> Jake Logan. Yeah, it's got a. Uh, yeah, there's uh, a, there's like three or four sex scenes in that. That was a that was a requirement of a Jake Logan is that, that you in, inject, you know, some sex in there and, and, um, and you know they actually gave you a Jake Logan Bible that you that told you what you could put in there and what you couldn't put in there. So, I mean, you couldn't put anything too kinky in there, and <laughs> you know, it had to almost be straight, kind of, you know sex and stuff like that but uh but i mean at the time i mean it was a good gig i mean i mean it was like a 150 page book and and it took you two weeks to to write and they they paid you a solid five thousand dollars for it and and um you know that would have been a and strangely enough you know i wrote two and then they shut down jake logan for a while because it, it took me a while to get established because you know it, jake logan was written like per, by five ghostwriters and one of them passed away and my agent said uh, at the time said uh do you want to get into this spot and, and i don't know why but i kind of hesitated you know i don't know if i want to do that or not and, and then i called up joe lansdale and he said yeah go for it i mean i've I've ghostwritten and so i got in there maybe i waited a little too long you know i got in there and got two in there and and then they shut it down, then they brought it back and the the spots were filled already, so you know.
0: I gotta have a around. we could have a round table where it's just like Southern Riders, you and Lansdale and a few others. That'd be so cool. Just you came know, to I, me.
1: I actually have done you know, conventions done uh, panels with, with Joe and and James Newman, you know. And it's a lot of fun. I mean Oh yeah, I forgot Newman's a Southerner. Yeah, he's uh, from North Carolina. Let me ask
0: you something, man. Because actually, last week I was looking up on uh, online some of his books. This one jumped at me, called "The Wicked." Yes. How, how is that? Because that looks pretty, pretty it's freaking very cool. cool.
1: It's, oh, yeah, it's it's brutal. Yeah, it's it's very good. Uh, most of his books are are brutal. I mean, um, I actually his book "Animosity." I, I read it before he even published it. He sent me a copy, and I and I read, Yeah, he actually autographed the copy for me. I still got it somewhere. Nice. But um, yeah, that you, you need to read animosity too because I mean that's like real life writers getting, you know, where the neighbors have a certain perception of you as a horror writer, and then oh. something something really bad happens to the community, and and you're the first one that they look at, it, you know, and uh, and then it escalates from there, you know, it just it gets so wild and brutal that. But uh, yeah, I, I suggest that one and uh, and Midnight Rain. You need to. Read I was going to bring that up. That is a more of a like a suspense crime novel than it is an actual horror novel. But uh, that was one of the first books I read when I came back. You know, I decided to come back and actually I'd read it before I decided to to come back and, and write. You know, that was one of the books that was a catalyst for me saying, "Yeah, I can do this again." You know, so I. I I credit uh, Brian King's The Rising and Newman's uh, Midnight Rain for, for bringing me back because, you know, that, that just kind of re- renewed my my interest in, in wanting to write again. All
0: right, more, more in uh, your break after we cover Undertaker's Moon, if that's okay with you. Um, and, yeah, you just made up my mind. I'm going to get, after we talk, I'm going to buy a copy of the Rise and I haven't read it yet, so I'll buy a copy of that, Midnight Rain. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're having Newman on later this summer for his release with, I don't know if it's a novella or a novel, but um, this summer, I forget which month, through Silver Shamrock. Yeah, cool. uh, and you know what? Before we even ever talk to Ken, I mean, this guy just keeps on escalating. I know. It's amazing. It. I know some things that he's going to, I'm not going to say here, but a little tease for anyone that's like, ooh, what is that? Well, look into Silver Shamrock, but um I know some things that he's coming up with and I just my mind's boggled. Like he <laughs> he he isn't he's never satisfied with all right, well, you know, we got this nice thing going on. He's just escalating it more and more to more books, more awesome sign-ins, more cover reveals. Brennan, my specific question for back to Undertaker's Moon is When we were talking about um, Fear with Kevin and Ken, I don't know... I didn't know if you got to this part yet, but the Booker brothers from Undertaker's Moon, don't they remind you about some characters
2: in Fear? Yeah, you compared them to the bullies, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, they were definitely bad dudes, and they were prevalent throughout Undertaker's Moon. So, yeah, (laughs) I definitely had gotten to that part by the time we did the Fear episode. But, yeah, they were... Um and, and you know what, the way they were used, that's that's perfect. <laughs> um, I was curious about I'm gonna butcher this, but Ar- Arget Bethir, is yeah. that uh is that pulled from
1: Irish mythology? Um, or is that pulled from Kelly mythology? That was Kelly mythology. <laughs> I I just kinda you know, I've always just loved, you know, um Irish folklore and and stuff like that and i i thought you know i want to write it you know when i wrote um um, actually the writing uh, get the idea for undertaker's moons has has a funny story to it. i was the summer of 1990 uh, i'd already had hindsight and pitfall published i'd already turned in the first book of the multi-book deal which was the darken which would be Uh, something out there and I was kind of brainstorming what I wanted to do for the fourth book and I remember that night it was summer it was hot it was muggy Uh, I was inside and I was reading an Irish folklore book and I thought I gotta I gotta you know get a breather so I I think I got me a a Dr. Pepper out of the fridge and went out on the front porch and sat down on the front porch and it was muggy and hot and and it was um it was dark. We you know, we didn't have any street lights on the on that street, so it was dark. And you know, directly about a half a mile away directly from my front porch is a is a really tall wooded hill. And um and all of a sudden I, I heard a howl, but it, it wasn't like a hunting dog. It wasn't like you know, I know what, what a blue a blue tick or a red bone pound dog sounds like. This was a very deep-throated, long howl, and it just, I mean, it put a shiver down my spine. I mean, it was it was hot outside, but I i got a chill off that, and so I went inside, and I locked the door behind me, went, <laughs> went back to my, uh, sat back down and started reading the, the Irish folklore, and the wheel started turning a little bit, and then I went to bed, and I came back. I came. I woke up the next morning, and I I started writing uh, "Undertaker's Moon." That's that seems to be a thing with me. Is sometimes I sleep on just a germ of an idea, and then I wake up and and you know a lot of the plot ideas and characters are filled in. I don't know if I dream about it or or. You know, maybe my mind's just refreshed from sleep and 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 I you know just ke- the creativity kicks in or something like that.
0: Uh, yeah, I I'm just thinking about you know dreams and there's so many ways you can go with that but I don't want to take us away from Undertaker's Moon. Uh Brandon, I'm curious what your overall feeling was on the book, man.
2: I I really liked the small town aspect, you know, I shared with you that it uh it reminded me of not I don't want to say it reminded me of Salem's Lot, but it reminded me of the feeling I got reading Salem's Lot, just this very contained town and this outside force comes from far away and really just upheaves everything um and i am such a sucker for you know small town horror um and i, and I you you the the town of um oh now i'm gonna butcher it it was it hickory falls no it was old hickory old hickory yeah uh the town of old hickory just felt so lived in um you know just it came off the page and i i think that was kind of one of the strengths of the book uh, is is just, you know, create this real lived in setting um, and we're willing to buy pretty much anything that comes in and upsets the town that we already kind of believe in. Mm -hmm. Um, So what's your process for creating like a town out of thin air like that?
1: Uh, Well, you know, it comes from towns I've lived in, towns I've lived near. Um, You know, a lot most of the little towns are almost set up the same way I mean they have a town square they have you know um, family owned businesses along the strips and and um you know you got your churches you know down here you got a lot of churches you know so you know it's the Bible belt or it used to be the Bible belt. I don't know if it's still classified as that now, but uh um there's always that and then you got your farmland and you know um a lot of farmers and, and, um, you know, you got a lot of blue collar workers, you know, that I came from a blue collar family and, and both my grandfathers, uh, um, they, they grew tobacco up to a certain point. And one of my, uh, grandfathers worked for the, for the state, uh, running a back hole, uh, the rest of his life until he retired. So, you know, I mean, I've always been anchored in a blue collar, uh, background you know farming so yeah that that kind of that kind of uh sinks into a lot of my my stories and stuff like that but um you know i think you know you need to lay the foundation for you you know your book you know you gotta set set up the town you gotta set up the characters that's why i spend so much time on character development you know i just You've got to you got to make your characters you know believable and and you got to you know make it where the the reader really cares about them you know or um, I I think I wrote a little post on Facebook the other day that you know almost you know monsters are secondary as far as you know suspension of disbelief you you've got to have the characters you know set up to uh, such a realistic point that you know if they believe in the monster you're going to believe in it too so um you know if 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 your characters aren't acting realistically if they are acting like those goofy teenagers in the slasher movies and getting killed here and there because they're acting so stupidly uh then you know your monster isn't going to come across as being you know threatening and stuff like that but um yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's that's a, a key point and when I uh, structure a story. I, 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 you know, especially southern horror, you know, have a, a small town and, and the characters in the towns, you know, they're going to be the ones who um, fight the evil that comes into it.
0: Yeah, you definitely have great uh, skill in developing characters. Because I I was there for, for all the werewolves and train, ghost trains and so forth. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm glad that you suggested Undertaker's Moon with Irish Gothic, because they pair really well together. So before we jump into Irish Gothic, we have a question from Erica Robin. I'd love to know more about how the cover for Irish Gothic was created. It's such an incredible cover from the illustrations and the colors to the fonts. <laughs> Chef's kiss.
1: Uh, well, you know, uh, I've been using Zach. On my little collections, I've been using Zach McCain to do the, the, the covers. He did the, the the Halloween store first, and then he did the season's creepings. I came up with the ideas of what I wanted on the covers uh, you know, we discussed how we wanted to lay out the, the artwork and and you know the design and everything. And then he he got to work. He's he's a super artist to work with, and he's fast too. Because these little collections, you know, I I came up with the idea maybe two months before they were published, and <laughs> uh, got it all put together. And he got the covers, and and Crossroads, you know, they got it edited and 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 sent to Amazon, and we. You know, we got them out fast, and, and they did really well. And um, as far as Irish Gothic, you know, I had this idea of, uh, you know, the light and dark of of Ireland. You know, the the bright sunny Ireland. It's you know the 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 green pastures and the the rock walls and everything. And yes, and then um, and then the other side of Ireland where you know it's the graveyards and. And uh, the the dark ghosts and cryptids and stuff like that. So, you know, I came up with that design with the half and half image, and and uh, Zach, you know, he put it together. He did all the the intricate, you know, border work and and stuff like that, and did the really cool back cover illustration of the the skull shamrocks and uh, and so. Yeah, I'm. I'm really pleased with with the cover, you know. And it's. I mean, it's getting really good reviews. I mean, I'm getting four and five stars, you know. So you know, you know, there's some people that want to give me three stars, you know. And, and uh, you know, I'm not going to mention names, am I, Patrick? <laughs> <laughs> they, they sound petty, so I mean, I wouldn't even pay a mind to them. Hey, hey, you know, it, it's no big deal. I'm. I'm. I'm a, I'm a big boy, you know, and uh, you know. It wasn't like I dedicated the book to you or anything, you know so. I, I know, I'm very... Man, I sound like an
0: asshole.
2: <laughs> That's true. I kind of want to listen to you defend yourself for the next, like, five minutes, so... Well, all I was going to say is I'm, I'm comparing it to other books by you. I mean,
0: I, it's a good book. Yeah,
1: yeah. It... I was I was real... You know, I was real hesitant about this book because it took me out of my... You know, it took me out of my comfort zone. I mean, it's not Southern horror, I mean... I thought, you know, am I going to be able to pull this off, you know, because you, you got to do different, you know, voice rhythms, you know, even the the narrative rhythm is different because, you know, Ireland has, you know, I mean, if you compare Ireland, the speech and, and stuff of Ireland to like Britain or Scotland, it's completely different. I mean, even the, you know, the slang and all that and, uh you know i had read you know a lot of you know irish you know authors and and re- you know a lot of movies like the quiet man that's the quiet Man's my favorite john wayne movie and and i mean i got a lot of the you know the speech rhythms and stuff like that from that movie you know and, and uh i've actually you know i've heard from from fans and stuff who have been to ireland several times or lived in ireland and they they Seem to think you know it's pretty authentic the way I depicted it, so I'm am really relieved about that.
0: That's awesome, and I think I know the answer. It just came to me after we've been talking for the last almost hour. I'm used to your books with character development; it's there, yeah. but I wanted more, specifically with ones like O'Shea Han. I don't know if I say that right. Shehan. O'Shea Han. Yes. It's like I got a taste of a piece of pizza, and I love pizza. <laughs> but give me some more, man. And look, I sound like a jerk the more I explain it, but because well, yo, you're the, it's your book, so it's whatever the hell you want it to be. But that's my reason for it. And m- let me be clear, that's my opinion, people. And he did dedicate to me, so I feel like a dick, even yeah. though he's that's very right. nice. <laughs>
1: yeah, you know. The th- funny thing about O'Shehan is, you know, it was just a little comedy story, dark comedy kind of story. And But, you know, I've had more than a dozen reviewers say, I want to read more she- O'Shehan, you know, and, uh, you know, do a novel, do, you know, some stories. And so I may do an O'Shehan casebook, you know. Because, you know, Shannon worked for Oak Sheehan for 15 years, so there's got to be more cases to be explored and stuff like that and, and all that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to do some more Oak Sheehan before it's over with.
0: Before we jump into that, because I know me and Brennan, that was our favorite story. I just want to read the dedication because it's really cool. I like what you do with it. It's for me and Brennan. It says to Patrick McDonough and Brennan LaFaro, may your blessings outnumber the shamrocks that grow and may trouble avoid you wherever you go. May your hearts remain true and gladness pervade, In your bookshelves grow heavy with the worlds you have made. So that's, I think that's a cool, it sounds Irish, and, I mean, obviously it pertains us because we're writers too, so I like that. Brian, what, what were your thoughts on that? Because I've never actually asked you.
2: It, it's a dedication, and it's a, it sounds like a blessing. It sounds like an Irish blessing.
1: That's, I what, I, that's what I meant it to be, so... yeah.
0: So O'Sehan, um I when I th- read that it makes me think of uh, a few things like Constantine, Dylan Dog, who's the other one? Um, Slipping my mind, but you could do a lot with that. So Brennan, why don't you take it away? Because I'm curious what well, you, you know, think. This
2: thing wasn't Sherlock Holmes, was it?
1: Yes, yes, that's, <laughs> that's, what, I, that's what I was basing it on is you know Sherlock Holmes, you know, and you know of course Sherlock Holmes, you know he he had that fatal. Fall off the the falls with uh, Professor Moriarty and and I, of course you know Sheehan had you know I think it was uh, some squire that he his evil nemesis he he fell off the cliffs of Moore you know into the sea and all that supposedly you know but like uh, like Sherlock Holmes did but you know I just kind of you know took the Sherlock Holmes you know uh, lore and stuff and kind of applied it to those Sheehan where. You know, you know, and O'Sheehan's, you know, this story is almost like O'Sheehan is, you know, come to the point where he's just becoming a policeman and babysitter for all these misbehaving um cryptids and stuff that aren't doing what what are you know, are doing you know, are proud and everything and and so but you know, some of his you know, if I do the case book maybe we'll have some more, you know, um you know, it's not going to be all dark comedy and everything. Maybe we'll have some, you know, uh, some exciting stories and stuff too.
2: I'm, I'm going to officially put in a request for <laughs> a, a case uh, on, on SLUA. Um, S- SLUA are what I, I think a really interesting Irish cryptid that a lot of people are not familiar with. I know I wasn't familiar with it before uh, Patrick and I kind of dug in looking at some of the different creatures for um, a series of books we wrote together, and that was one that really caught my attention. You know, we ended up giving it a pretty central role in our book. I ended up writing uh, another story that kind of takes place. Uh, it's, pff, I think, word length-wise, probably a novelette that takes place in that world that kind of focuses on them. Um, just, uh, and I was... I was Reading through Ocean and and saying, oh, there it is. Slua! Yeah, yeah somebody else knows what that is. That's fantastic. <laughs> I, I also I, did like how you, um, you know, you said it, uh, there were a lot of references to Holmes, how um, Ocean played his flute at, you know, the uh, discouragement of the neighbors when he was yeah. trying to puzzle out a case rather than the violin. I,
0: I'd like to see uh, Sir Sarnunos. I don't know if I said that right, but it's the horn one. He is uh, widely worshipped as the lord of wild things. Me and Brennan made him kind of like the... I, I don't know if it's super clear, but he's kind of one of the antagonists. Um, it's just a lot of fun you could have with it. It's kind, kind of reminds me of Pan, uh, the Greek, yeah. thing a Greek god. But um, there's one more. I, I don't know if I'm saying this right, but Lear or Lur... He is the uh, the god of the sea in Ireland. All right. So that'd be pretty neat. Um, what do you want people to know about Irish Gothic? Uh,
1: it's uh, it's just um, it's it, it's it's like a culmination of my love of Irish folklore. It's something I've been wanting to do for a long time, and when I started doing these little. Um, little collections I thought you know I really want to do some of these Irish stories because I've been wanting to do them for a long time it wasn't like some people say well he's doing another seasonal collection you know I mean I think Irish Gothic will stand on its own I don't think it has to be connected to St. Patty's Day or anything like that and, right um, I actually had a story idea for a Irish story linked to Fair County that that I didn't do because the like the first two or three pages took place in Ireland and the rest took in America you know, and on ship on the way to America and that where uh Saint Saint Patrick has driven the snakes out of Ireland and and this black magic this guy who who is specializes in black magic takes a hold full of snakes back to America and, and they slowly be tur- become turning into snake critters. So, <laughs> so <laughs> that was, that was something I toyed around with. And then, you know, it, I almost got to the end of, you know, the deadline to get the story collection in and I didn't put it in because it, did, it just wasn't Irish enough. So, um, but I, you know, I think people will, you know, get, you know, it's a little something different for me. Um, I think, you know, I do a pretty good job at, at, at writing an Irish story, so, and, uh, I mean, a lot of people, you know, there, there's a lot of, you know, like the Flanagan's Bride is is a Banshee story, and, and um, you know, it's almost, you know, it has the feeling of a ghost story, kind of, so, um, yeah, I, you know, uh, check it out if you if you're interested in irish folklore or or Ireland in general
0: nice Brennan, any anything else on this particular book
1: yeah you know i
2: I mentioned you know that you had some cryptids in there that I think people are relatively unfamiliar with, but you said you know you've got a banshee story, you've got the the werewolf story um you've got a leprechaun thrown in there um what what is your favorite uh, Irish cryptid? What or or what was the most fun to write work into a story?
1: Probably the banshee, um, and um, let's say, um, I like the the vampire story a lot, and um, and probably uh, Dabel's Time Pace. I, I really you know that was kind of a uh, a play on you know catholicism and and the devil and and having this clock from hell that you know was stolen from hell and and you know he's trying to get it you know the devil's trying to get back and all that so i mean a, a lot of there was several stories that wasn't strictly irish but you know i, I put them in an irish sentence and and you know it played pretty well you know so well, you know,
2: there's so many of those there were the um uh I I think you call them the de- deer do um yep. I, I don't know if I'm saying that right. I've seen um the same thing spelled out as the deer dirg, but it's essentially um uh witches or is yep. that the vampires? I I can't keep them it's straight. The vampires, but,
1: yeah, they're okay.
2: Due. Um but it, you know, it's it's kind of that primal thing every mythology in the world is going to have their version of a vampire uh, most mythologies in the world are going to have their version of uh, of a werewolf um and kind of taking that universal experience and just putting that irish twist on it i think uh, i think that's completely valid um and because you know even though the Kind of macro look at it is the same. Yes, this is a person who uh, transforms into a wolf. Yes, this is a person who uh, you know sucks blood. Um, but th- there's the the little details that kind of make it specifically okay. But this is what makes it the deer do, uh, or, or this is what makes it. I can't remember what the uh, Irish werewolf is called. I think we we it's it's like f a o d l a h or something, but I'm sure it's pronounced differently than it looks um but uh you know i just i love that aspect of mythology that and and with the you know combine that with how long these stories have been around and the commonalities shared um from very different places all around the world um it almost kind of puts a universal truth behind it. That they were once were- werewolves. Yeah, why not?
1: <laughs> and there could be. Actually, don't know everything. Actually I wrote or get befair, um when when we put um Undertaker's Moon out, um, Thunderstorm put it out, I was putting a new a brand new novella, you know, with each book, you know, that was connected to the book. So I wanted to do a prequel novella of uh For Undertaker's Moon, where you know, the origins of... of, um, So it's probably better to read Undertaker's Moon first and then read the Argat Bethair because Argat Bethere has got a lot of spoilers in it as far as what happens in Undertaker's Moon. So maybe I should uh, put a disclaimer on stuff like that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but uh, um, as far as, um, like, Blood Ken, I've got a prequel novella for that that goes with that so when the paperback of blood king comes out there's going to be a a, a story called the uh, the wanderer of twilight mountain that's like the origin story of Grandpappy peppy craven and how he'd become a vampire
0: mm, i gotta read
1: that anything else
0: on this uh this irish book or undertaker's moon there fellas if not i know where we should go next Okay, so let's go back to when we talked about James Newman, uh, Midnight Rain, Brian Keane's The Rising. Why those two? So did you always... You stopped writing for 10 years from 96, which was the closure of Zebra, to 2006. Um, Why... No, why did you stop uh, writing? Why uh, did you... God, I can't talk. Hold up, I gotta write the time down. I Know what I want to ask. My brain keeps saying something
2: different than what my mouth is doing. <laughs> you just survived the work week, man. It's you <laughs> yeah, got scrambled eggs up there right now. <laughs> yeah, I was telling Brennan that uh, I gotta I'm go right back right into there. work tomorrow,
0: so I can't
1: wait. What were you gonna say, Ron? I said, I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm, I'm shoot, I got up at 3.30 this morning, so I'm ready to go to oh, bed. My be goodness, <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Um. Were you reading
0: throughout the whole period of your ten-year hiatus from writing? Can't say that no. word. Yikes.
1: No. I, I I stopped writing her and I stopped reading her. I mean, I just put the whole thing on the back burner. I mean, not even on the back burner. I I thought it was gone for good. So, um, the thing was that I had a I had a friend that a uh, a fan that became a friend about time of fear and and you know, we hung out a lot, and and when I stopped writing, he kept wanting me to get back into, you know, the genre again, and I told him I wasn't interested, and he would go to conventions, and, and you know, he, he became a moderator on uh message board, and when, when, when Brian had a message board, and he came back from a convention with a big stack of books, and said, here, you know, I brought you these books, and they were all signed by Keen, and, and Newman, and you know, all that. And and I said, okay, thanks. And I put them on a bookshelf and kind of forgot about them. <laughs> and <laughs> then, uh, then people got on the message boards and everything was asking about me and how they could get my books and and wondering if I was dead and stuff like that. And and uh, uh, and then I, you know, I thought, you know, maybe I should read something and see how things are nowadays. And I read the rising and then i read um uh, neiman's uh, midnight rain and, and i got interested in horror again and, and it kind of fired me up and and then i i you know i came out and announced that i was going i was coming back and, and just took it from there i mean it was just like riding a bike you know just you know I actually i i seemed to ride a little better because you know i don't know i was just maybe i needed that long hiatus to to recharge my batteries because when i was getting when i got to the end of you know like blood kin and everything it was it got to be almost like a a grind i mean zebra wanted you know they wanted the books a certain length and they they wanted you know they wanted to have 400 500 page books and sometimes it was hard to stretch them out that far and it was stressful sometimes and and it got into the point; where it was almost like that when they shut down. So, so maybe that was a uh, it was fate, you know, that that brought that about. So, you know, so you know, the ten year period, I really didn't, you know, I really didn't have any desire to write. And but when I came back, I was energized and and, and ready to go again.
0: Now, let's through the magic of editing. This is going <laughs> to be a first time thing. Uh, let's just hear what Brian Keene's opinion on, on Ron Kelly is Ron Kelly had asked me to do something for him and I would drag my balls across
2: six miles of broken glass for Ron (laughs) Kelly.
0: You, you had something funny to tell me about that that you think that spiked up some sales
1: when, he I said, feel, yeah. when anytime brian says he's gonna you know he drag his balls for anybody I mean they're gonna say well who's this guy that you know he thinks so much of so yeah you know it, it my you know i i could see book sales spike a little bit after after that episode so and and, then, and the episode where where richard sismar you know kind of talked about me for like five or ten minutes so that that helped a lot too so you know anytime you know you know anybody asks you know who i am you know and and then they go looking for me you know that that helps a lot you know
2: i did not know that
0: about richard that's awesome
2: i'm almost going to kind of piggyback off irish gothic so i don't know if you want to like completely splice what you did but that's doesn't funny. it doesn't matter we'll figure it out you're a brilliant editor just you know oh, make sure okay. you got more than two hours of sleep when you edit the episode <laughs> uh, so ron i'm kind of wondering you know irish gothic is a collection of uh short fiction which is you know something like you said you've been churning out like wild lately halloween season and seasons creepings and now irish gothic mm-hmm. thinking of an idea and you know putting it out uh to press two months later on average, obviously, every story is different. But on average, what's your process for writing a short
1: story right now? Right now is um, I get a little germ of idea, and you know, I, I I really don't outline it. I don't you know think too much about it. Maybe I know what the ending's going to be. I just sit down and write it. You know, really, short fiction is my you know that's that's my medium. That's what I like to do the most. You know um you know back in the 90s i was mostly known for novels but you know before before i got with zebra i mean it was all short fiction and stuff you know all the small press magazines and and a lot of the major anthologies i was in and, and like shock rock and and hot blood and stuff like that and and i was mostly known as a, a short story writer but uh but you know that was your goal back then was was getting into mass market and and doing the novels. So, so when I was doing the novels, I very rarely wrote short fiction. You know, but you know, it when I came back, I you know I got that bug to write short fiction again. So, I'm, I'm kind of taking advantage of it now. So,
2: yeah, but the stories we read are they how close is is first draft to to what we what we see inside those books.
1: Pretty much. I mean, I can I can turn out a short story in two hours. <laughs> That's what Ken said.
2: That's obnoxious. Yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> the, You're the, just what, showing off.
1: <laughs> the story I, I, I submitted from Midnight Beyond the Stars, I, I did it in two hours, and and <laughs> I went back and did a, a quick polish, and I sent it to Ken, and and you know, he took it. <laughs> but but y'all you know, that 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 was the way it. It was back in the 90s because people would would contact me and say, you know, I need a short story quick, you know, to fill a spot. And, and so I'd sit down and, and you know, I'd, I'd get an idea and I'd just sit down and write it and send it off, you know. But um, I, I it has a lot to do with your confidence. It's, it's uh, you know, if you do it for a long time and, and you got the confidence of, you know, that you can tell a good story and and tell it effective and then um you know you don't agonize over it you know and uh i know you know new writers you know like youtube you know you like to have people beta read a lot of your stories and that's a good thing you know that's something i didn't have back then i didn't i didn't actually have people who could do that for you you know so so yeah i mean that's you know but you know me personally i I like to just sit down and write a story and and um and kind of do my own thing that's why i don't collaborate with a lot well i never i've never collaborated with anybody because you know i have my own visions for my stories and stuff and and um you know i I could probably collaborate with you know i'd love to collaborate with like lansdale or or um james newman or stuff Uh, you know Something like that, but uh, that'd
0: be awesome.
1: Who knows if that'll ever happen because I got so much on my plate now, I can't <laughs> hardly keep up with it as it is.
0: I'd say hopefully Lansdale listens to this and uh <laughs> contacts you, but he he's he he doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> 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 Um, there is this magazine from 1991 that this website that Brennan introduced me to a. A B E B O O K S dot com. Just type in the search, Ronald Kelly, and it's really affordable. Ten bucks for, Mm -hmm. plus the shipping, uh, which are things like, I don't know, ten bucks too, but it's worth it. It's an old magazine from 1991 called Eldritch Tales 25, Mm -hmm. a magazine of weird fantasy, volume eight, number one. And just to name uh, a few authors in here. So, you know, you got... Ronald Kelly, Belly Little. Um, who was the other one that sh- stuck out on me? Right away, I got a long list, and it's, it's not alphabetized. There yeah. was one. Oh, yeah, Clive Barker is in here, too, which that's, that's a young Clive Barker at that point. Um, there was one more. <clears throat> I can't find it now. It was, uh, I can't think of their name. Uh, super famous transgender author
2: Poppy Z Bright. That's it,
0: Poppy Z Bright. Yeah. Yep, yeah, um, that's really cool. There's other great names in there, but I mean, you want to look back at some early stuff from guys like that? Ch- check out com. I don't know where else they sell it, but they got a lot of neat volumes from Eldritch Tales.
1: Yeah, I mean, all those old, old small press magazines back there, Eldridge Tales grew, um, Death definitely for- was a good one. A lot of us short story writers back there, we'd be in 10, 12 magazines a year like that. I mean, you'd open up the table of contents and we'd all be in there. You know, Elizabeth Massey and and uh, Bentley Little did a lot. And, and um, it was a fun time because, you know, we were all, you know, Cutting our tapes together and and learning the trade and that's how you learn your trade back then. It was, it's it's almost it's it was like the indie press is now. I mean, um, you know, the anthologies and the the magazines. There's not as many magazines nowadays. You know, yeah, maybe online magazines, maybe, but um, but this was just. I mean, um, there was uh, something called uh, Scavengers Newsletter and it had like listings for all the small press magazines you know what they wanted and, and how much they paid you know then that's that's how you got leads on on what magazines to submit to and uh, that, that's how we did it back then
0: i'd like to see a movie about that I, I mean maybe one exists but just writers in the 90s writing horror for a living that i mean that'd be really really neat because often i hear how you know you scrounge around you this is actually a good segue to something we talked about off here ron is uh how you scrounge for food and there was not food but paying the bills and what have you mm-hmm. and it, it's you gotta get this written so you can afford something um so Brian, just so you know ron gave me the okay for us to talk about this uh should hope so <laughs> yeah right haven't haven't fucked up on that one yet um but, from the time you wrote with zebra to the break, you told me something interesting about you and your wife um and the dynamic there so mm-hmm. take it away, sir
1: uh well, you know, I got you know so involved in writing for zebra and trying to pay the bills and everything that we just kind of we started drifting apart i mean it it got the relationship got strained and you know. We wanted to have a family but we was living in nashville didn't have any health insurance i mean um right for a living it's hard to have health insurance you know um and i know a lot of uh, full-time writers right now don't have any health insurance but that's that's one reason that you know i keep a, a steady job because i've got three kids and uh, and a wife i want to make sure they're secure and taken care of you know that's that's one reason when when somebody comes up you know, I hear somebody say they can't wait to, to write for a living, I think, you know, you know, just think about it for a while because you know, you don't want to let go of that security, you know, too fast, you know, because you know, um things might be selling really good this month and next month you might not sell anything at all. So um but um yeah, I mean, you know, things were, you know, we were in the city, you know, we wasn't really happy where we were because we we're both country folks, and and uh, then after Zebra, Zebra, you know, it was getting close to the end of Zebra, and we decided to move back out to the country, and and uh, I mean, that's where we should have been to begin with, and, and uh, then Zebra, you know, shut down, and I got a full-time job. I went back to the factories, and um, and then things, you know, just kind of leveled out and became normal again. And you know, we raised three kids, and and everything got fine again. You know, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Joe Lansdale told me one time. He said, uh, you know, it's it's fine to to write full time, but make sure your family is taken care of first. You know, and he was All right. right.
0: Yeah, that that's great. I mean, hearing that because I I wanted to be a full time writer since as long as I can remember, but that was when I was a kid. <laughs> Not even think of the dynamics of a family. So it's like I bring up sometimes. You never know. This show's gonna be on for years as long as I would say it's gonna be on for years to come. So it's gonna be online for free, and you never know if one day like a young kid hears that or a young girl twenty something year old, whatever, here's that. If I heard that when I was younger, I'd I'd probably think about a few more things. So thank you for sharing that. Uh it's personal, so I appreciate that. Um, Brennan, you got to follow up with this, sir?
2: No, I, I would definitely echo that. You know, thank you for sharing that. And it's just you're right, it's it's so important. You you get, you know, um and when I say you, I don't mean you necessarily, but a person gets caught up in their ambition in their career whether it be their first or their second um, and they want to you know you want to produce the best art that you can you want to produce the the books you know you're capable of and the balancing act between trying to take care of a family between trying to build a family nurture a family um, and also create that art is, so close to impossible that it might as well be um and you really just got to lean in towards family you know i i of course i would love to be a full-time writer but frankly my uh pipe dream at this point is i would just like to replace my second job with writing um, <laughs> and and use my uh day my day job to you know uh have a steady paycheck and health insurance um but for exactly that reason because I know that that's what I need to do to provide for my boys and and my wife. Um, And that's learning, learning to put that first is important.
1: Yeah, you know, another thing Joe told me is uh, you're sitting in front of the typewriter and you're worrying about how you're going to pay the electric bill or the water bill. You're not gonna produce your best work I mean you're gonna it's gonna grate on your mind you're gonna you're gonna worry about it you're and your is gonna suffer you know so you know Joe's given me a lot of advice over the years about stuff like that and and uh, you know I've taken it to heart most of the time you know maybe I didn't so much when I was writing for zebra because you know it was just get this book done to to pay the you know I mean I was to the point in nash when we lived in nashville i was paying the rent on credit cards and that's not anything you you want to do you know so because you was waiting for a zebra only paid you twice a year you know um, every six months and sometimes you were there in front of the the mailbox praying that there was a check in there so yeah i mean you know it's you know it's a it's a really it's a wonderful notion to to want to write for a living but Unless you've really, you know, got a a, a big following, uh, a big fan base, and, you've, and you're you're those royalties, you know, solid month by month, you know, it's 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 hard to pull off.
0: I'm sure. And speaking of Joe, uh, I know he has a book. I think it's just the one with Zebra, Act of Love. Haven't read that, it yet. Definitely.
1: That was that was a pretty bloody brutal book. I mean, <laughs> That one was, book he did with Zebra. but uh... And then I, I was looking
0: at the list. It's like 140 books altogether for the horror line. Um, and the one that got published first, Ruby Jean Jensen. Mm-hmm. She, I think she has the most books with Zebra, man. Because I was looking at the dates and my goodness, she just... How, how does someone write that much? <laughs> it's like four books a year, something like that. That's crazy. Uh, you guys want to jump to upcoming projects?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. I've got, in June, I've got uh, a new collection with um, D&T Publishing that's uh, Dawn Shea runs that. She did the ABCs of Terror, and, and uh, it's going to be called uh, The Web of the Sanguinaire and Other Arachnid Horrors. It's all my spider stories. So, um, uh, so yeah, there seems to be a theme going there. <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, I, I, you know, I love to put these little collections together with, you know, a common theme and all that. And, and um, of course it does have um, like house in there. My, my blue, the brown recluse stories in there and, and, uh, and some other stories, you know, some are reprints, some are brand new stories that have never been published. So, uh, that's coming out in June. Then I got uh, the paperback of Blood Cans coming out in June. Uh, we're going to put out, in October, we're going to put out uh, a new edition of uh, Mr. Glowbones and other Halloween tales with uh, a few new stories, and I'm going to do some artwork in there. I'm going to do some black and white art- artwork through it, uh, which I'm going to be kind of doing some extra projects. I've got another pub- publisher who wants to do a combination, uh, horror anthology cookbook. And they want me to do the, the illustrations for that. So I'll be doing that too. Um, nice, it's kind nice. of in the planning stages now. So, um, but we got that coming out then in November, thunderstorm is going to put out book one of, uh, Deadeye, the horror Western series, um, I got a publisher for the paperback in the ebook, and I can't announce that yet, but uh it's probably somebody, you know, but uh um, so that's going to be book one, which is called uh vampires, werewolves and mojo men. I <laughs> want it. <laughs> and that's going to be the first book of a five book series over the next three years with thunderstorm and, and a, a yet unnamed uh, indie publisher. So um, then, you know, after I get done with this first book, I'm going to get into the sequel to Fear, do that. And and from there, it's probably going to be a few more little collections. And, and I had a collection a few years ago called After the Burn, which is a post-apocalyptic, you know, nuclear... The story collection, it, you know, it had a lot of really weird stories. I mean, I've got one story where, where, um, these Elvis fans show up at Graceland, and and here all of a sudden uh, an elderly Elvis comes up out of the floor, and 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 it's it's kind of a dark comedy and all that. So, um, I've been wanting to do like almost a novel based on the characters in, in that collection kind of and that so that'd be after after the burn uh it'd be after burn exodus so i might do that next year so i mean i've got i've got a lot of options of what i i'd like to do and and over the next few years so it's it's a good time for for ron kelly fiction
0: you sir are a machine speaking of ron kelly fiction why don't you tell us what
1: you are giving away through this episode yes uh I have a four book uh, package here that I'm going to give away. The first one will be uh, Irish Gothic. The second will be Essential Six stuff. The third will be Undertaker's Moon, and the fourth will be Fear.
0: Yeah, that's a that's an amazing package. Um, Essential Six stuff is one of my favorite collections I've ever read. It's I, it's up my alley. I like. I mean, I, I want to le- learn, uh, but more splatterpunk writers from when it was created in the '80s up to probably when it was fading out before it returned again recently. Um, so you know, I'm talking about like the '90s, early '90s, mid '90s. I I want to read more like that. I hope there's more. Like your work, man. Like, I, I know Bob Pastorella of uh, This Is Horror said that I get to check out David Chow's. Did they say that right? David J. Chow? Yes. Yeah, scout I don't know why I said yeah, Chow. J. Scott, yeah. David J. Scow. My apologies. Uh, scene Red. I hear mm-hmm. that's excellent. And Jack Ketchum um, in the same type of uh, theme uh, Peaceable Kingdom. Uh, I got that on my bookshelf. I definitely want to read that soon.
1: Mm-hmm. You need to check out Skip Inspector, uh John Skip and Craig Spectre. Uh they did Scream and uh, um, uh a lot of other splatter I mean they were mainly known as the splatter punks. Yeah. Uh, Skip inspector, um, um, um David J. Skyle. I mean I I saw they were at the the first um World Horror Convention and they were decked out in their long, long black coat and stuff like that. So, you know, everybody, you know, it, I mean, that's when Splatterpunk Punk was hot and, and I remember, you know, then, you know the all the all the editors and stuff, you know, the magazines, you know, they were wanting their splatter punk stuff. So that's that's why, you know, we started writing it, you know, to satisfy this demand that everybody had.
0: I heard that the older writers were pretty offended and, uh, thought it was in poor taste with horror, which <laughs>
1: it's
0: the well, old old it, man
1: get a, off my porch syndrome. Yeah. It, I mean, it was a state, it was, you know, they, you had your quiet horror and then you had your splatter punk and, and you're maybe you're in between horror, you know, just supernatural stuff and all that. And, I mean, I, that's the way it, it is now. You know, you've got different degrees of horror and, and, um, I mean, there's room for all of it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what are you currently reading? I am almost three quarters of the way through H.P. Piper's *The Worm and His Kings*, which I'm loving. It's great. It's, it's it, I'm, I'm, I'm really getting back into cosmic horror. When I read Lovecraft when I was 13, and it just kind of went over my head, and and plus, you know, being a a teen growing up in a Christian household, you know, reading about ancient gods that, you know, (laughs) wasn't very, you know, benevolent and, you know, it just kind (laughs) of, it was kind of a taboo thing in my house, but, um, but yeah, I'm, I've, I've read, you know, Mary's work and, and I'm really starting to get back into the cosmic horror now.
0: Nice. And
1: after that, I'll be reading Wesley Southard's Cruel Summer, which, Alex McVeigh did this cover, so I didn't oh. know that until I actually got it, so, but uh, you know, I, something I wanted to say to the, to people who, who like to collect hard and would like to have signed books, I mean, go on Twitter, go on Facebook, you know, contact your favorite authors and, and see if they sell books, you know, because you know, you know, I've got this from West, and I got uh, that book from Piper, and I've got some coming from uh Laura Hightower and and nice. uh, Sam. I got uh, true crime coming from her and and yeah. I mean, you know, a, a lot of authors sell copies of their books direct, and and they they'll personally inscribe it to you. And so, you know, that's great for collectors. You know, I like to collect books, and and I'd like you know if I can get them signed, that's that's great.
0: Honestly, man, and this is not even because we're talking fear is my most prized. I got other books signed by you, but fear is my most prized book. I think a lot of it has to do with it's your Magnum opus, but like I read it and it's it's in my top five.
1: Thank you.
2: <laughs> Brandon, what are you reading? I am uh almost done. Probably gonna wrap up tomorrow. Uh Moon of the Crusted Snow by Wabgishig Rice. Um so it this one is It takes place on, um, a reservation and I don't know what the correct term is because I want to go with native American, but it takes place in Canada. So I'm, I'm going to jump past that and, you know, try and find out the correct term, but Uh,
0: I think it's just like indigenous people.
2: Okay, perfect. It's so it takes place on, uh, an indigenous reservation and their power goes out, and their cell phone service goes down, and they can't figure out why. And it's so it's, you know, it's kind of a hinted at apocalypse, but you're looking at it uh, only through the lens of this small, isolated town. and it's it's going to some interesting places. But you know to to take on um, a, a subgenre that has been done and done and done, and just take it from that small little corner. It, it's pretty cool. I'm enjoying it.
0: it. We'll talk privately after you finish it. But yep. I know you're going to like where it goes. I know what you <laughs> like. You're going to love it. And the weird the crazy part. I'm almost 100% sure that this is the last book he's written. Uh, which was in 2015. And it's public information. So I feel comfortable saying this, but his sequel, he's working on it right now. I have no idea where it's going. I read it. It's already, I have no idea where the sequel's going.
2: Oh, that's excellent. I'm, I'm I'm going to finish that up tomorrow. I'm psyched to, uh, talk to him about it. And man, I hate Scott.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I had to think about that for a minute. I thought we were talking about a person we know. Yeah. Uh, Ron, if you're interested in some... This is different, man. It really feels... Like, you can say this about really any story, but this actually feels like as close to as a white boy from Massachusetts can feel being in an indigenous reservation around, you know, a campfire or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, And hearing one of their stories, this sounds like something you would hear. Um, Mm -hmm. It's excellent. Wob is an excellent writer very awesome down-to-earth person we are talking with him soon he'll be a few episodes after this Um uh, brennan what else are you reading anything else man i know you
2: usually balancing in a bunch i you know what i'm i'm mostly focused on that one um i i'm also in the middle of um farallon island by russell james i think um, I don't have it in front of me right now, but uh, it's it's a Silver Shamrock book coming out end of March, um, probably around the same time this episode is airing, uh, and it's it takes place um, on a small island um, where this kind of former tough guy—you almost get the sense that he was, you know, involved with organized crime—kind of gives it all up uh, and. Becomes the lighthouse keeper on this um, uh, on this pretty isolated island. And then there's demons. So I'll leave it at that. <laughs> That's pretty neat. I
0: uh, am finishing up probably tomorrow. Anoka by, oh, I'm covering his name. Sorry, Shane. By Shane Hawk. Uh, it's indigenous horror, which is pretty neat. You know what? I actually didn't mean to do that. Um, have two indigenous writers uh, within. A week of each other recording wise not Aaron wise uh, and then I just got this today uh, yes. Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House this is my first time reading it Um, where it's coming out in episode 4 so uh, that's May 1st it'll come out uh, after Ron's episode because that show is a monthly episode we would love to do more but that's not going to happen anytime yeah. soon no way uh, and also, I just finished Consider This by Chuck Palahniuk. It's uh, it's one of my favorite books for on the crafting industry. It's a book I'm going to go back to probably quite a few more times. Um, for me, it's that book, uh, End of the Road by Brian Keene, because there's a lot of... I love the horror genre, so as a horror writer and reader, there's stuff I feel like you got to know in it. Stephen King's on writing, it's good, but it's not... It's not my favorite. And then um, I know that one's mentioned a lot. And I feel like that's mentioned a lot by people that don't know about the other great books. Not a knock on him, but, I mean, he can't be the master of everything. (laughs) And uh, what was the last one? I think I had a fourth one. It doesn't matter. Uh, Right now I'm reading one more book. It's uh, Chuck Palahniuk's Haunted. Um, It has a short story called Guts in it. Uh, if you're new to Polnick, pa- this is a short story you have to read. It's it's uh, fucked up. It's, it's so it's just out there. It is it is bizarre, but in such a glorious, disturbing
1: way. Um, Ron, where can people follow you, man? Hey, I'm uh, I'm on uh, Twitter, uh, Ron Kelly Four. Uh, I'm on uh, Facebook. Uh, I'm on uh, Instagram uh, under Dixie Darkin you can find me at ronaldkelly.com we're fixing to uh, update the website maybe do a new design on it and and um, maybe put some free fiction on it oh sweet uh, and uh, I I have a blog that I really need to you know uh, do more for it's called uh, uh, Southern Fried and Horrified and and uh, I haven't done as much as I need to do on the blog, but uh, because I've been so busy with other projects and stuff, but yeah, you know, just uh, or Google me and and find see what you can find. So that'd
0: be a neat, you know, on a shirt, Southern Fried and Horrified, be really cool. I'd yeah, wear
1: that. Uh, the uh, the little icon on top is a, a is a a frying pan with some bacon and a egg that's that's kind of n- formed into a skull, so... Oh. You know, pull that up look. Yeah, I'd buy that. And you know who did that design for me? It was John Horner Jacobs, maybe. They, oh! No you know, kidding. Quite, quite a, yeah, quite a few years ago we did that, so...
0: He does this really... Uh, he's very talented beyond yeah. writing. Um,
1: Actually, I, I kind of helped him edit the, his first one, Southern Gods, kind of. Really? Yeah, I kind of did some proofreading and And did a little. I guess it was like a beta reading. That's beta reading, yeah. So that was several years ago. I don't uh, forgot how many years ago he put that out, but uh.
0: I never knew that. I wish you mentioned that. Um, That's really cool. We talked to him last year. Really nice guy. Very smart. He does these uh, lack of uh, not knowing what the proper terminology is etchings, Mm -hmm. and they are incredibly detailed. Um. So let's talk real quick about Deadhead Space Store. You can buy merchandise with my goofy face on it, on a T-shirt, mug, notebook, on a mask. Maybe this won't apply in a few years if you're listening to this. It's 2021, and we still wear masks uh, around everywhere. And uh, soon baseball caps and who knows, maybe onesies for babies
1: yeah, well, you know, when I put on my T-shirt, my wife says, "Is that is that a monster from one of your books?" And I said, "No, that's just Pat." You know,
0: <laughs> if I, I got a lot to live up to if I ever meet you guys. Hey, it looks normal-ish. Is there? You guys have any final thoughts? Any final words, comments, phrases, anything? Fantastic! So, thank you, everybody, for listening to us. Uh, this has been a fun episode. Uh, I'm urging you. Buy fear. Buy fear right now. Read it. It's Ron's got to love good books. Even the three star one's good too. I, I just feel, I still feel like a dick. That's a lot better. Well, if that's the worst <laughs> that I do between you and I, then, you know, I'm not so bad. Next week, next Monday, we have Chuck Polonick on. Yep. Chuck Polonick, the guy that wrote Fight Club, Guts, bunch of other stuff. Uh, We're. Really excited to talk to him. Um, we gonna keep it at that. Let's see what happens with that conversation. Stick around for next week. Have a good one, everyone.
2: You are now leaving. Deadhead space. I would drag my balls across six miles of broken glass for Ron Kelly <laughs> yeah. balls